0: The Ortho-PAC, hosted by Sam Dyer. Welcome to the Ortho-PAC, where we discuss up-to-date orthopedic topics for the busy clinician. I invite you to sit back and relax as I attempt to fill in the gaps between education, current events, and real-world practice. Welcome today, Dr. Alexia Soria, who is a board-certified, fellowship-trained orthopedic surgeon who specializes in hand, wrist, and elbow. And we're really glad to have you here today.
1: Thank you, Sam. Thanks for having me.
0: So starting with fingertip injuries, I don't know why, but these always make me nervous. Let's talk in general about a crushing injury at various stages of severity. Please tell us how you would manage, say, someone with a 50% subungual hematoma and tough fracture versus a, an involves nail, nail bed injury, partial amputation, those kinds of things.
1: These used to give me a lot of anxiety when I was a trainee. Spend a lot of my PGY-2 year uh, numbing up fingers and trying to repair nail beds in the ER and being very anxious about it. And then this glorious article came out when I was kind of later in residency that uh, dermabond is equally good or better than than trying to suture these nail bed injuries. Mm-hmm. So my approach to these, and then also with another kind of dressing treatment about hydrating the skin, has has really changed the way I view these. And and there's there's almost no reason to be nervous about them. They do very well. I would say in a few instances, you know, maybe need need a, a more than you know urgent care or office type procedure mm-hmm. for them, if anything at all. So I'd say with a kind of a more minor injury, maybe a not a severe. Uh, or heavy crush, maybe a, a pinch in the door and it has a small subungual hematoma Probably not not a whole lot to do if it's if it's a large tubungal hematoma, very swollen concern for for any any significant concern for nail bed injury I would take that nail off, uh, numb up the numb up the finger, take the nail off it will grow back, but taking the nail off and putting some derma bond on the you know water, clean it and and put derma bond on the nail bed and they do they they do very very well. ones that involve more of a laceration, loss of soft tissue pulp as long as there's not a significant amount of bone, even just if there's a little bit of bone peeking out, it's actually okay. But if there's a significant amount, you do want to kind of rondure that bone back and, and have some soft tissue over it, but then just high, high, a hydrating dressing and cover it with Coban. And then, you know, have them see a, a hand surgeon. They do incredibly well. The days of us doing uh, skin flaps and and things like that for, for these um, fingertip injuries uh, is, is almost gone for me. I've had excellent success with Vaseline or polysporin. Keep that skin hydrated. I tell the patients, it's just like a crack on your heel. You know, If it dries out, it's going to keep cracking and it's going to be hard for it to heal. But if you keep it hydrated, not so hydrated, you get a fungal infection. You want to change it every day, clean it, let it dry out briefly, and then put a new dressing on there but something to hydrate it and then in, and then an occlusive dressing like a coban works very very nicely. I usually put something non-stick in between those layers like Xeroform And knock on wood, I've seen almost no issues with these and excellent outcomes.
0: Mm-hmm. Great, great. Also regarding nail bed laceration, suture or dermabond and do you use the removed nail as a splint?
1: That's a tough one. I, they're still doing that in the ER. Mm-hmm. You know, it really depends on what the nail looks like. By the time they get to me, usually the nail is is gone or not really viable anymore to to be used so that's hard but more recently it's coming to light that that you don't really need to keep that epinychial fold open mm-hmm. which is really the main reason we used to do that in terms of keeping the epinicule fold open, um, sometimes I will put a little zero form in there, mostly because I'm biased from, from training and, and, it, and it makes me sleep better, but I'm not sure that we have to, and, you know, I used to spend a lot of time sticking that nail in there and then trying to, to secure it either with um, scary strips or putting a stitch through it. Um, and it could have, it, it could be frustrating and then, you know, they come to follow up and it would have fallen out anyway. I sort of stopped doing that. But again, I'm not, I'm um, just the way that we're set up, I'm not often seeing these in the in the very acute setting, I'm often seeing these, you know, several days or weeks or so out mm-hmm. from initial injury. I think that the hydrating dressing, um, and you can even bulk it up a little bit. Sometimes I'll put that one inch uh, zero form, maybe a layer or two of that folded over the top if the tip was is exposed and, and sensitive, and then putting Coban. It's such a bulky dressing that I think it works essentially as a splint. Sometimes I will have OT make make kind of a thimble type splint or even do one of the alumo ones. Um, in all honesty, I think they, they mostly just hang on it and and make it heavier and more cumbersome, um, and probably more painful. So unless it's needed for work, like somebody, uh, works in an industry where their finger may continually get injured, um, and be painful. I usually just kind of do the bulk, almost a bulky Jones, if you will. That serves as a splint. Now, if you are treating a mallet injury at the same time, that, that's a little bit different than, than you do need to kind of get an OT splint or something, to, you know, to hold that DIP in, in extension. Um, that's, that's kind of getting into a different injury than, than your typical uh, kind of nail bed crush injury.
0: Mm-hmm. Jumping back to metacarpal and phalangeal fractures. There are many different types of hand and finger injuries, and I believe that our audience can spot the majority of these. So when you're deciding surgical versus non-surgical management, what do you look for? What are some guidelines? Obviously we know open fractures, but what about the number of digits, uh, degree of displacement, rotational malalignment, any deviation of the digit, those types of things. Any guidelines for conservative versus more aggressive care,
1: I think metacarpal fractures, similar to almost like the fingertips. I think I've more more recently, or as I got further into practice, I've noticed how well these do, particularly the the boxers fractures. More and more, we're finding you almost need to do nothing. You know, buddy strapping them is almost as good as or better than a lot of the uh, immobilization and, you know, reduction and casting that we've done. Um, We see less stiffness and quicker return to work, quicker return to activities. Metacarpal fractures come in all shapes and sizes. I think for your standard shaft, either oblique, um, spiral oblique fracture, angulation and malrotation and malrotation is going to be the, the one thing that that is that's that that just doesn't do well that needs to be reduced and or fixed in the operating room, um, multiple metacarpal fractures, you know, if they're simple and they're not significantly angulated, you can get away with conservative management, but oftentimes when there's multiple, that means that there's you know more soft tissue injury, more angulation, uh, more risk of, of a malrotation. It's a bit difficult to, to kind of, I guess, pinpoint all of them, but I, you know, the, the clinical exam is very important for these does, is the skin tented? Are you worried about the extensor tendons? Um, you know, rubbing across the apex of the fracture, can they reach full extension? Um, you know, if if, if the fracture is significantly angulated, you can you could lose the ability to fully extend at the MP joint, and that will be bothersome to the patient in the future. Clinical exam will guide guides treatment for these a lot more than the X ray in my mind. If you if you go by the book, um, you know you can measure your angle and and decide whether or not you know, it meets criteria or, or not for, for surgical management. I again I, I really think the physical exam is is almost more important than than your number that you that you measure. Okay.
0: Dr. Soria, do you have any online resources or recommend any further reading on common finger hand and wrist injuries for our listeners?
1: I really think ortho bullets has, you know, is is very helpful, particularly as you're starting out. I mean, if you want to read um, more more in depth about hand the ASSH has a really wonderful, you know, education component to it where you can watch videos and, and get articles and all that. I'm not sure if you have to be a member or not to have access to that, but for, for when you're starting out and, and just getting a sense of, you know, for example, the metacarpal fractures, I said, you know, how, how much can they each be angulated? bullets has great summaries. You always have to take everything with a grain of salt, right? Like, okay, so index and long fingers, acceptable shaft angulation, 10, 10 to 20 degrees. Well, they're giving you a range there, but again, your physical exam is going to be kind of most important. But I think even knowing, okay, how do I measure this? Or when you're looking at the, when you're doing distal radius, how do I measure radial height inclination? You know, they have nice examples and pictures and, and kind of quick, simple explanations that I think can be very helpful.
0: Dr. Soria, thank you for your time today.
1: Thank you, Sam. Thanks for giving me the opportunity.
0: Thank you for joining the OrthoPAC podcast. Please follow the Physician Assistants in Orthopedic Surgery on social media. Connect with us on Facebook, Instagram, LinkedIn, and Twitter. Please subscribe to our podcast. If this has been helpful, please take a moment to leave a review.